Excellent Hunt Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle McCroskey, and with me today is John Grant, our other co-host. John, please go ahead and say hello. Hey, listeners. Welcome back. Love to have you with us again. Appreciate it. Ripple Intent Podcast is an extension of Ripple Intent, our organization. It's all volunteer-based who works uh, effortlessly to provide fantastic events where we become better people, better teammates, and better leaders. And so through our breakfast clubs and our annual symposiums, we bring lots and lots of people together to explore ourselves through self-awareness, through very complex yet very um, great conversations around a variety of topics. One of the topics we have spent a lot of time with lately has been trust, and we are pleased uh, to have with us a fantastic guest today, Joseph Myers, who is a best-selling author, speaker, researcher, consultant. Uh, he wrote The Search to Belong uh, and the upcoming book, Trust Me. And so, Joseph, welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Appreciate you being here. This is this has been a lot of fun learning and talking about the the book Trust Me leading up to our podcast. Um, and one of the things that was really fascinating was our conversation about the uh, how how the whole concept of the book originated. So, uh, could you give us a quick uh, background on on what the book is and how it came to be? Sure. I mean, um, you know, some of your listeners won't even remember the 1900s, but back in the 1900s, in the mid 80s. Um, I was going through a divorce. And so my wife and I were separated. And uh, those conversations early on specifically were pretty intense. And she would um, always mention in those conversations that she could never trust me again, and that she couldn't trust me with anything. And, you know, everything was lost because she had no trust. And in the next breath, um, she would hand over her most precious prized possession, which was the little hand of our one-year-old daughter. And instead of, you know, someone being sane and going, I should really concentrate on why she's not trusting me. I just found it really, really interesting that she could not trust me with anything and then hand over our daughter. It, it just didn't make it sense that you could trust, not trust on one side and trust on the other. And that really bloomed into me thinking through, hey, trust and distrust have to be two separate things. They can't be as connected as what we thought they are. But then all research that I went to look at connected them, you know, that trust and distrust were on the same continuum. And the more you did of one, the less you did of the other. And it as I kept watching people, I kept saying, that can't be true. And so I would research and I would write and I would feel like a madman, which I feel like most of the time. So that's not that all uncomfortable, but it, it really bothered me. Um, and so even before Search to Belong came out, I was thinking and writing about trust and trust me. And so um, in about five years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer, but I think it was about five years ago, uh, neuroscience said, came out, and it wasn't a specific study about trust or distrust, but in the, um, in the study, it was talking about what happens in the amygdala and what the brain processes in the amygdala, and then what the brain processes in the prefrontal cortex. And come to find out, distrust comes from the amygdala, 
and we process trust in the prefrontal cortex. So simply, uh, the way I like to say it is, we decide to trust and we feel distrust. It, that's so fascinating, right? That those two can live. It it feels like, you know, based on that, you you have those functioning, they coexist together at the same time. And they, you do talk about, it. I'd love to share a little bit more about like, where do those show up? Like if we're actually to be conscious and pay attention, right? Where do you see those coming into practice together at the same time and, and share like some of the links? Yeah, so the interesting thing about the, let's just talk about the brain science a little bit more. So um, the amygdala's number one job is safety right? Flight, fright, or fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or how many F words they come up with to, you know, they keep adding them. But it's, it's essential job is to keep us safe. That's all that it's there for. It doesn't process any information on, quote, unquote, the positive side. It, the amygdala isn't trying to uh, convince us to do something. It's convincing us to keep safe. And so when you think of it that way, and that distrust comes from the amygdala, all distrust is there to do is to keep us safe. And all information, by the way, hits the amygdala first and foremost in the brain. That's the first place that things are processed um, in our brain is the amygdala because of the safety idea, right? So um, the interesting thing about that is we, are the first thing that we do with trust and distrust is our first question in our brain isn't, do I trust you? It's, do I distrust you? Then the prefrontal cortex, its whole job is to build relationship. And it's concerned constantly about building relationship. And so it's putting together the executive thought and building lists and, and all those things to build relationships. So it's constantly yearning to um, not just relationship with people kind of though that, but relationship between items and, you know, making sense of the world in, in a relational aspect. That's what its whole job does. So you have these two um, siblings going about their life, communicating with one another, in a way that allows us to be safe to build relationships. Essentially is what that's all about. So um, the, the idea that you need to rid yourself of distrust is a really bad thing. Distrust actually is essential to trust. You have to have distrust to trust. And so, the way I talk about the amygdala is the amygdala has two personalities, guard dog, guide dog. So your guard dog keeps you, you know, it wants to protect you in a way that guards you in a way from danger. A guide dog wants to guide you through danger. And when, so anytime that I say on, on this uh, podcast to mitigate our first response, our first thing that we need to do to trust is mitigate distrust. I don't mean get rid of it. I mean, move from guard dog, barking and biting, attacking kind of thing to guide dog. And so it's not that I even need to lower your distrust. 
It's that I need you to get to distrust in a different way. Distrust me in a guiding way so that your amygdala can open up the prefrontal cortex and say, hey, buddy, go ahead. Try to make a decision whether to trust or not. So you're moving the the what's happening in the moment is you're going from self-protection to a conscious decision to lower that guard somewhat to step into that distrust to see if it could become trust. And interesting. So that's really interesting. It could be conscious and it could be subconscious. Most of us are very subconscious about how we handle our amygdala. Um, I mean, we're becoming brighter and brighter, hopefully more in tune with ourselves, more self-aware, yada, yada, yada. And uh, therefore, yes, Kyle, I think that there's a, a big group of people who are finding out, oh, by the way, I don't have to be controlled by my amygdala. And in that, I can move from guard dog to guide dog and allow my prefrontal cortex then to work its genius and decide whether this relationship is worthy of trust. So we actually, when we talk about trust in our events, um, a lot of times we'll, we'll just kind of do a quick level set, right? Are you quick to trust or are you slow to trust? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting to see all the different reactions that are out there. And as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm processing that there's either, I've either, if perhaps if I'm quick to trust, um, I'm already a little bit more aware, right. Of my, my, how my amygdala is processing, right. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, right. or I just have my sensitivity setting is set differently. Yes. Right. And so it's, it's really interesting kind of thinking through and processing that because me personally, I would rather be quick to trust because then I, I don't worry so much if I trust people. Right. And then I let them, I let them fail (laughs) and lose trust. And that's a different part of the conversation. Right. But um, actually it's a very important part of the conversation. It's it. So it's, it's interesting. You're, you're right, John. Um, there, there are people who are quick to trust and people are slower. The, the idea there is that, um, like you said, it, it's an awareness, either subconscious, unconscious, or conscious of our amygdala and how it works. And, um, but when the amygdala allows the prefrontal cortex to, to go ahead and do its job to decide to trust. Oh, by the way, let me just go back a second. So I have this friend who is quick to trust. And she's like, tell me about myself. Why, why am I so quick to trust? Because I don't feel like I distrust anyone. Well, here's, and this is what I, ever since she's asked that question a few years ago, one of the things that I found is that people who have a strong sense of one, they like people. They want to be in a relationship with people. They want to, they really enjoy doesn't mean they're extrovert or introvert, but they really enjoy having connection. Those are the people who have a strong sense that they want to trust first or quicker. Or two, people who have a sense that they are smarter than anyone else in the room, and I mean that in a really good way, have a really uh, easy time trusting quicker because they're like, I, I can outthink you. So I, I don't need my amygdala to be all barking and bitey about this. I'll just outthink you. 
So it's those two are the ones who kind of rise to the top when you're talking about people who trust really quickly. In my uh, kind of quirky way of finding out, those two rise to the top like every time. That makes uh, a lot of sense because the the damage that you're protecting yourself from is mitigated by your intelligence or the other attributes that you're bringing. We do a lot of the, the Clifton Strengths work, and so you know it comes to mind that when you're describing that self assurance strength, the communication strength, the intellectual strength, the connection strength, um, all of those lend themselves to people who are more naturally inclined because again those strengths are automatic mitigators of of getting that guard dog to back off and go, you know what, even if this goes totally south, I'm going to be able to navigate through this. No problem. Exactly. And then you have people who have intense trauma who really have trouble getting out of the amygdala. I mean, it, it's not quote unquote, their fault that they distrust really strongly and their guard dog is really keeping them from past uh, results and so, you know, keeping them safe, it's not their fault. You know, we, we talked in, in, uh, before, so I had, I had a, a guy that I worked with who we did a lot of 360 surveys as mm -hmm. part of the annual review process in a large organization. And, and he, um, refused to participate in those review processes. And of course it was corporate policy and you have to participate. So when he was forced to participate, everything was neutral on his ratings of other people with no commentary whatsoever. And uh, I was really fascinated by this going, this is a really useful tool as a leader and a manager, this information and these perspectives really helped paint the picture of individuals in, in regards to their reviews. And he was adamant, adamant about, where I was, these things were used as weapons to fire people that the leadership didn't like. And yeah, or, even, it was, even though it was a whole different organization, he still carried that with him with such passion. And, and yeah. there was no change in that. <laughs> no, no. And, and even Clifton Strengths. I mean, I'm sure you've run across people who are like, ah, not, uh, you're going to put me in a box. I don't need to be in a box. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. You know, that's just the amygdala going, hey, hey keep safe. You know, that's all that is. And so when you recognize that that's what people are doing, it's much easier to have a conversation about the things that are triggering them than if you're trying to just fight with a stupid guard dog. I mean, guard dogs aren't all that smart. They know one thing, keep me safe by barking and biting. That's pretty much what they do. It's the guide dog that comes along that is really intelligent. They're like, yeah, you know, that happened before. Um, and I feel like it's going to put me in a box again. But let's go ahead and do it and see if there's a different outcome. You know, and we, along the way, I'll, I'll stop it if I need to. I'll, I'll stop at the corner before somebody runs me over with a car. Um, that's the kind of guide dog that we're trying to get to with our amygdala. That's... Um... You know, it, it got me wondering, I'm sure some people are wondering too, is is one better? Like, is the guard dog bad and the guide dog good? And I, I don't want to give that impression. I don't think it is. No. Um, no, they're, we they're both. both very healthy. We need yes. both. Yeah. In fact, they team together really well. You know, it's, it's just, and in fact, I, I like to keep them separate in the conversation, but the reality is it's one amygdala that acts in two different ways. 
And so um, the truth is you are both, my amygdala is both guard dog and guide dog. And keeping those in a, in a sense, working together so that when I need to keep really, really safe, that guard dog is there and it barks and bites and it does its job. I, we need that. I mean, we need protection from all kinds of things. Um, but we don't need protected probably as much as the guard dog would like to protect us. That makes and, sense. But it is safe. It does feel good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and John, you, you know, going back to something that you brought up, it's, it's essential in what, what I talk about is the trust flywheel. And the trust flywheel has three components, mitigate distrust, engage trust, and then uh, there'll be a time of testing. So test trust. And we needed to make sure that we know that trust is dynamic. It's not like a bank account. It's not like, hey, I can put uh, a bunch of trust in my relationship uh, bank account with John and then someday I can break that, but he's going to trust me because I have all this and that. But no, that's not the way trust works. I'm not sure that's the way love works, although people talk about it that way. But that's definitely not the way trust works. Trust is dynamic and moving all the time. It, it does not stop. Um, and so you constantly have to have mo a momentum of trust to keep trust alive. And that momentum comes from that flywheel is I try, I uh, mitigate distrust, I engage my prefrontal cortex to trust, and then there's a time of testing, which that testing, by the way, brings about the, you know, I have to mitigate distrust again, because that's what it brings about is the, the amygdala kind of lights up. So it's a constant movement of this flywheel, and the quicker it gets and the more momentum it gets, the more we feel like that we have trust. I, I love that that thought, and it's actually as you think about sort of the guard dog, guide dog, right? I mean, if you go to an actual dog, right, the memory can be fairly short term, right? So as soon as something comes up that's threatening, they're going to go barking all, all over again. Um, but the way you frame it as the flywheel totally makes sense, right? That's how we see it all the time. So even back to me, right? I'm quick to trust. Right. Once you take personal safety out of the equation, right? I'm quick to trust because honestly, it's easier for me. However, I'm gonna I need to validate on an ongoing basis that you're the way that you are showing up for me aligns with my definition of trust, right? A still, so I'm still then able to double check and go, okay, we're still good, or you're slipping down a slippery slope. And we may need to, you know, uh, uh, reevaluate expectations, right? Again, it's exactly what you just described, right? I'm going to manage my distrust uh, and have to navigate that back and forth. It, it, and it is ongoing. It changes constantly with the same people, the same, you know, the same relationships, all of that. All that. It's, it's interesting. So let's just take a scenario like, um, I, you know, I, let's say, John, you're the, um, you're the boss of me, and um, you find that I don't, the work that I supply is genius. Let's just say that, because I, I like I like that to be said. And then, <laughs> but I'm late. I never hit my deadlines. 
Okay, let's just say that that's 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 the scenario. So, John, you can either let your guard dog amygdala distrust me because I never show up on time, and you can constantly beat that drum and get it. You know, your amygdala more inflamed, more inflamed, more inflamed. By the way, mine's not inflamed at all because this is my usual behavior. And it's just it's you who is managing yourself. And then all of a sudden, you're you don't feel any trust, even though it's there because you trust that whatever I'm going to come up with is going to be genius. You're just so aggravated and your guard dog is barking so loud. It has shut down your prefrontal cortex and you fire me. You can do that. Or you could say, hey, listen. Joseph always comes through. Always. He's just always late and usually about a week late. So when he gives me a deadline, I can know at that deadline, I can check in with him and I can be pretty much at peace that it's going to be late <clears throat> because it's going to be about a week late and it's going to be genius. And then now your prefrontal cortex can do the work of relationship building. And you can come and help me be more attentive to deadlines out of a relationship context. You can collaborate with me, which is a relationship building um, idea, instead of barking and biting out of, out of your amygdala. So that's kind of the frame that's happening all the time. You know, I test your trust. And all of a sudden, it brings about, you know, the amygdala, <coughs> excuse me, and you have to figure that out. Yeah, that's, wanna... that's a, it's a great point. And actually, <laughs> you describe how I function, right? So you're really high on competence, but low on reliability, right? And so if I care more about reliability than about competence, yeah, I'm just, I'm inflamed the whole time and I'm just on fire. And so... I think there's something really key for us to start recognizing that. And then you're right. Like that next step becomes how do we have an intelligent conversation with each other where we learn how to communicate those, those stress points with each other, right? To even say the way you are showing up. And it's not, it's not that Joseph, you're not, you know, you could be not an asshole, right? You could be a really great guy, and and genius and yet you're creating some significant trust issues for me which frankly are more my issues than your issues that's right right but how do i learn how to communicate that instead of just being frustrated and saying this is it i can't do this anymore joseph you're up yeah the interesting thing is in the past what people have concentrated on are the tools used to mitigate distrust so I would say, for instance, you need to be more clear. Clarity is a distrust issue. It, clarity does not build relationship. It's just being clear. It just mitigates that distrust so that relationship can move on. But if we have, if you say, for instance, and I know that this is, uh, like you just said, we need, we need to have better communication. That's a relationship kind of phrase, other than being more specific, you need to be clearer, right? There, so um, we could uh, collaborate on, a, on helping me with my scheduling to help you. 
You know, it's, it's, it's about building that relationship. So making sure that when you come to someone and you want to build trust, not mitigate distrust, which is very important, you have to mitigate distrust. So you have to be clear and you have to have those kinds of very poignant conversations that say, I need this from you. I need you to be clear about your deadline. And that if you feel like that you're getting off, I need you to tell me right away. I don't need you to wait till the last day. You know, those are all mitigating my distrust. But on the other hand, what you really want from me is a relationship. And so what are the, what, and let me just throw this back to you and Kyle. What are the things that would build a relationship in that scenario? <laughs> so what a great me, question. Yeah, go for ahead. me, go, right, the, the, you'd have to go through and, and have some, speaking of the clarity, there has to be some openness about acknowledging the reality of what's happening. Um, so you're open about, okay, here's the deadline. If we're going to be late, then so be it. Um, so here's, the, and so what starts coming to mind is how do you prepare and how do you fix this? Because we see this in practice all the time. Well, I, I know that everyone's going to be late, so I'm just going to artificially move up the deadline. And so now that falls into the category of manipulation. And that's not going to help necessarily because you're still going to view that other person as incompetent or I have to now play games in order to achieve what needs to be done. That's so right. what comes to mind for me is more of the openness of you are consistently late, but you consistently deliver fantastic work. So can we accommodate? Is it my deadline that's causing you to be late? Is it your not lack of buy into that deadline? Or is it truly, you are so smart that you are not giving any credence whatsoever to the schedule? But if it's consistent, then most likely it's some of those other factors. And so having that conversation of, I need to know that I'm going to get this awesome deliverable from you on a consistent basis. And I need to plan for it because Here's why. And then, of course, listening and better understanding where they're coming from and what they can have available from a relationship basis to not feel as though I'm cracking down and being heavy handed or micromanaging, but also giving them the space to be performing in the in the high level. So it's not so much the clarity. I think it's more of just here's how here's what's going through my head. Here's what's going through my heart. And here's how it's affecting the people around you. Now, I love that. Not once did you say the two trigger words for me about people. This is what people say, build trust, transparency and accountability. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It actually mitigates distrust. Those two things mitigate distrust. And the more you do it, the more you actually, let's say I, I'm fully transparent with you, Kyle. You know everything there is to know about Joseph. I don't need trust anymore. There's no risk there. There's no, you know everything. So what do you need to trust me about? You already <laughs> know it. Yeah. So it's transparency and accountability, lower distrust or mitigate it. Let me say that. Move to a guide dog. The more you know about me and the more accountability I, accountable I am, the more you feel a sense of your guide dog is moving very, very well through the danger. But you said openness. That's different than transparency. And I would add to that truth telling, which is different than accountability. So, cause those are relationship words. 
You know, we have this little ancient book that talks about um, love keeps no record of wrong. Means love relationships don't aren't accountability relationships. They don't account for things. It's not relational. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things, right, even my pause before was I'm trying to process, like, there's so many things we do that are <laughs> tactical that, it, that again, it's a, just about managing the distrust, right? So, like, again, you're late all the time. So, if I do an artificial deadline or if I, I add in check-ins with you, those are tactical behaviors that do nothing to build trust. Nothing. Um, but... Again, right, if I can get to the point where we can talk about, right, some of the extra context, like what's going on, or, you know, it to me, some of it is a request for a behavioral change from you to help me. There's a piece of that that's managing distrust, but, you know, once we make a commitment to each other, then that to me starts to really deepen and build trust. Yeah, a commitment to the relationship. Right. not just to tactical things. And I hope people hear us. I'm not saying the tactical things shouldn't be. No, you need to mitigate distrust. Okay, so there's some parameters that could be set up, some transparency, some accountability. I'm not against those things. The problem is, is if we get stuck in that part of the flywheel, we never get to quote unquote, really building trust. We're just constantly or caught between um, disobedience and your your uh, amygdala getting inflamed again and then trying to mitigate that you're just, just bouncing back and forth instead of trying to relationally build develop trust and that momentum never gets really moving that's uh you know i'm, I'm excited for your book to come out because i really do want to get a hold of it and dig more into what you have to say what what you shared today is is um very insightful and i know it's going to have a lot of people spinning and thinking and reflecting on the conversation just the whole concept of to come back to where we started the whole concept of you decide to trust consciously and you feel distrust that right there in itself is is pretty powerful as a phrase. And I think it's going to get a lot of people thinking and, and really reaching for more. So two things before we, we sign off today. Um, number one, um, how do people find you, Joseph? What's the best way? Yeah, the best way is uh, to go to my website, Joseph R. Myers, M-Y-E-R-S.com. Um, and you can contact me through the website. Um, and you can find out when, trust me, I'll put it on there as soon as it's available on Amazon, which should be at the end of this month, first to next. Fantastic. Um, one thing before we go, we always do this. If you were to leave the people listening with one key takeaway from our conversation today, what would that be? I'll start with you, Joseph. Wow. One, one boil, boil, boil every thought I ever had down to one thing. Um, <laughs> the moral of the story is, um, I think it's that that idea that I, I think once you're aware that trust and distrust are two separate things and that I can decide to trust at any moment, trust does not take time to 
to get back once it's broken. You can decide at any moment. What takes a lot of time is to mitigate your distrust. And that I feel strongly that distrust. <clears throat> once you start being aware of that, it, let, let me just say for me, it changed my life. It just changed my life knowing that I could mitigate that distrust and engage in a relational trust just changed everything for me. How about you, John? You know, one of the things I'm really sitting with is you're, you're making me think about the relationships where I feel a significant lack of trust. And yet I haven't, um, maybe those folks don't live inside my circle of trust at the moment. Um, but I'm starting to reflect on how much that may be my issue and not their issue. And so I probably need to spend a little more time thinking through how am I going to go and communicate that um, to those folks to see if I can manage my distrust, but also actually kind of turn the tide a, a little bit. So uh, I'm leaving with some work. <laughs> I apologize. <Yeah. laughs> No, I think I'm right along the same lines of uh, being conscious and and with with myself and how I'm judging folks, um, and and either extending or withholding trust. But then also how I see that in others, um, especially when it comes to how they uh, and and this happens a lot with with where we spend some time is where you work with somebody or you work alongside a group of people for a long, long time, or even a company. And then one thing happens and suddenly they're, they're the worst people in the world. And, um, which, which dog is helping you at that point and, and what's causing you to, to react that way and emotionally feel that way. And are you consciously, are you throwing away years of a relationship because of one instance, um, and we hear and we and we see all those cutesy little phrases on LinkedIn and Facebook and everywhere else where, you know, oh, and, you know, trust takes a lifetime to build and only takes a second to destroy. And it's like and, and people celebrate that like, yeah, yeah, because it's validating how you feel. And that's the, it's more validating of how you've reacted. And is that really the right um, I would say the right action in the bigger picture? You might feel that way. And we always say, you know, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. Um and uh, so go through those feelings and work through those. But is your reaction based on that immediate instant feeling really the right reaction? Are, are you feeding the right dog and supporting the right path forward for everyone? Or is it truly just kind of like when you hit your little brother, it feels good in the moment. And uh, <laughs> okay, cool, moving on. And then you're like, oh, no, I feel guilty for two weeks because I did that. Um, is that what's more happening? Uh, because you're spun up around the emotion at the moment. So fantastic conversation. Uh, trust me comes out very quickly uh, in the next month. Like you said, keep an eye out for it, folks. And uh, from a Ripple Intent standpoint, follow us on LinkedIn, rippleintent.org for more information. You can reach out and connect with John or I directly on LinkedIn as well. And uh, appreciate it, Joseph. Thank you for the time and the insights today. I really appreciate you being here and uh, appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me on. It, it was fun. We should do it again. We should. There's a lot more here to unpack and we probably will. So with that, uh, appreciate y'all listening and hope to see you at one of our events down the road.